0: While well, Vijay's speaking, because you're going to want to hear this, okay? Um, Vijay is, has been, how long have you been coming to church? Three, four years. Incredibly faithful, does the front of the house stuff that Becca's doing right now. But the bottom line is, um, ever since I've known Vijay, there was a thing that was burning in him. And the last time he spoke, which was excellent, he touched on it. But this time, I think he felt a freedom or something, or just the Lord's anointing, to really find, not to really be able to articulate this thing about how do you actually walk a holy life with God? How do you actually enter into his presence? How do you actually be in that place of victory in your life? This is; These are incredibly important things that we're talking about, and it's been burning in his heart, and I think Not only are you going to see him articulate what this is, but he's going to give you how to get there. And I'm telling you, when I watched the sermon, I felt so strongly about it that I actually put a note on the end of his little tag for what the sermon was about in the weekly update. If you don't get that, please do. But in the weekly update, and I said, you really, this is one you really need to listen to. You really need to process it. So I'm very excited for this. Would you please give a big lick, Sam welcome to VJ?
1: Thank you, Kurt. Um, I'm gonna ask uh, Becca to pray up front uh, so that I, I don't lose my train of thought. <laughs> Becca, thank you.
0: Father God, we just thank you so much for today <clears throat> and uh, for the word that we're about to hear. Um, I um, Pray that uh, that your word and, and your will come uh, through VJ very clearly that it it embeds in our hearts father God and that this is something that we can't turn away from that that we do accept and we do act on it and I also lift up the Square church in Yakima and um, and the flooding that they're going through right now and I just pray for safety and and um, and health and happiness for them in your name we pray amen thank
1: you thank you a little bit of background about myself, um, I got saved during my teenage years, and um, if I look back, uh, I do consider myself uh, a really, really passionate Christian. Uh, and I lived my life uh, thinking that I really was serving the Lord, and I really was running after Him uh, right from the time I got saved. Uh, I, I did share about this uh, the last time I spoke. And just to give a brief overview of that, and before we get into this, today's sermon, I did all the right things which I thought uh, a Christian should do. Um, I, uh, I tithe, I was active in church, I would lead uh, a, a care cell at, at home, um, I'd pray, I'd, I, I, I was involved in everything. And I'm not saying in the nominal way, I was saying I was really passionate after the Lord when I, uh, when I uh, lived out my Christian life. but Sometime back, my, my daughter gets a dream and it brings me into this reality check and the Lord was uh, telling me that I got something really, really wrong in my life. And that's when uh, this whole journey started and then I started to seek after the Lord. You know that passage in the Bible where it talks about uh, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? In that passage, um, there's also this verse over there which says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? After these things, the Gentiles seek. Now, when the Lord was showing me what is wrong in my life, I was seeing that the exact same thing, things which the Gentiles seek after, that's exactly my life. My life was revolving around what shall I eat, what shall I drink, what shall I wear. That's exactly how my life was. My entire pursuit was, though I was saying as a Christian, my entire pursuit was towards um, running after these uh, things of the world. And they all looked normal um, things, right? They don't look like sinful things. Right? That's, the, uh, intention, that's the image that you would get. Right. So here's something else which uh, the Bible talks about um, in uh, First 1 Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter 10. This is talking about the Israelites and is giving that reference back in 1 uh, Corinthians. right? And he says about this thing, right? Do not become idolaters as with some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat drink, and rose up to play. Very strong terminology, right? For something which is pretty ordinary, right? Look, hey, they just ate, drank, and they enjoyed life, right? And he's talking about them as uh, idolaters, very strong words. And that was what the Lord was showing in my life um, uh, when I started my journey. For today's passage, um, I want to... Talk about Second uh, Peter. There's this whole passage. I'm going to go through this quickly. Uh, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these... You may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self control, to self control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, the reason I picked this passage was uh, uh, I had a dream. Um, and in this dream, I was, um, uh, I was in a room, and on all the four walls of the room, I was seeing statements and promises about myself. And I went and uh, checked out what they were, And uh, there were really extravagant promises, statements about me. And I was like, oh, this is too much. It's not, I can't, it's just too much. This is really extravagant. That was my dream. It was a very short dream. Uh, I was a bit perplexed, and I thought, okay, probably some God is telling me that he's going to do some great things in my life. I kept it aside. Then my uh, sister gets another dream, And uh, in this, it's a pretty long dream. I'll give you the gist of it. And in this dream, she's seeing me, and uh, she's seeing this person with a gem-like texture, which was uh, radiating right from the inside and outside, okay? And uh, she knew it was the divine nature in the dream. And uh, in that dream, uh, there was a battle going on between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. the lord started opening up to me that uh, these two dreams are related and um, i started understanding that the first dream like it says in this passage was about the promises of god and the second dream was about this divine nature and i found the scripture passage in second uh, peter and that's when i started trying to meditate and find out what is the lord really talking about what is this divine nature I never heard this, uh, these, uh, these messages or anything about this, so I started meditating on these scriptures and trying to understand what the Lord was trying to tell for me personally with these uh, scripture passages. Now, I'm going to cover three broad things uh, in this passage because there's a lot of things in this passage, but I'll cover three broad things. The first thing is um, I'll give a very brief outline on the knowledge of God, right? But the three things which I'm uh, going to talk about are, the first thing is that uh, he wants us to partake of this divine nature, which means that he wants us to experience this divine nature. right? He's just not talking about it, singing about it, he wants us to experience this divine nature. Right? And if you look at it, one of the key things which uh, um, God's attributes, when you look at it, in heaven, God has a lot of attributes. But one of the things which uh, they're always praising Him continuously for is His holiness, right? And that's what the Lord is saying. I want you to partake of this divine nature, right? And the way He's given us is, if if you look at this passage, it says He's given us His great and precious promises. Through that, He's saying, you should now start to partake of this divine nature. So we'll touch about uh, these promises as well. The second thing is... um, this transition from, this whole journey from faith to love, right? I'll I'll be talking about that. But uh, since the expression of God is love, I'll be uh, focusing a little bit on what is God's definition of love. right? I'll I'll be focusing a little bit on that. And then for the most part, I'll be focusing on the faith part. I'll not cover the whole journey, but just the faith part of uh, this journey which is talking about it. Um, And uh, the last thing which I'll cover is this uh, terminology called the kingdom of our Lord, right? In the last uh, highlight over there. The kingdom of our Lord. These are three things which I'll I'll cover about. Now, generally, I'll start off with uh, love first. Um, When we talk about love, the way I saw myself was, um, oh, uh, you need to be polite to people. You need to be... Nice to people. Uh, don't get angry. Don't uh, show uh, f- wrong emotions to people. Uh, probably help out in church where there's a need. Right? These are the things which I would uh, term not, uh, term myself as being loving. And um, I thought that uh, I-, I was loving. Right? I was uh, in, by nature. I'm a soft-spoken person, and I felt that um, in general, I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm loving. I'm a a nice, loving person, right? But uh, here's uh, God's definition of love. We all know these passages, but it specifically says that if you love me, keep my commandments, right? Or in other words, it says in 1 John, he's repeating it again, says loving God means keeping his commandments, right? Loving God means keeping his commandments, Right? The very specific uh, um, dream which my daughter had when we started over this journey was uh, this whole passage about uh, the wise and foolish builders. Right? That was the uh, dream which my daughter had. And the very passage after that, uh, this is what the Lord says. After the parable of the wise and foolish builders, this is exactly what the Lord says. Right? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, right, which is almost like keeping his commandments, right? many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have you not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Very, very strong words. Very strong words. When I looked at my own life at that point, I was doing all the things that I should do as a Christian. Tithe, check. Pray regularly, check. Read your Bible, check. Be active in church, check. Whatever you could list down. I was check, 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 everything. But uh, there's something absolutely missing in my life. There's something absolutely missing in my life. It says uh, uh, in detail, in 1 John it repeats this thing. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of the world. Right? When I looked back, when I saw that I was doing all these Christian things that I should be doing as a Christian, right? but then my whole pattern of lifestyle was doing these things, but my whole pursuit, my whole goals, my whole, my whole life was built around. How do I please myself? How do I give my family a, a great life? I wanted to enjoy this life, and I thought giving them uh, enjoyment and pleasure in this world was, uh, was my love for them. That's the way I thought I should be demonstrating my love for them, that I should go and help them to have a great life. Right? All this terminology that we have, live life to the fullest. Right? That was how I was. Right? Live life to the fullest. Oh, enjoy a life. Go and give a great life to your family, right? But then the Lord is saying, "Do not love the world or the things in the world." Right? And He's making a very clear distinction. He's making a very binary distinction over here. In the next verse, it says, next uh, sentence says, "Whoever loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him." So it's a very binary thing. It's not like you could love the world and then also love the Father. It's either or or. You can't love both, right? And it's the pattern of lifestyle which I'm talking about. It's not one one or two issues which are there, right? And uh, the reason why uh, it says about that is the, the next um, sentence, right? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father but of the Lord. See, when we live our life in the world, our whole... Um, Pattern of thinking starts to change. What we think is, uh, oh, I, I'm just, uh, I'm just having a good time, right? But then it, it just decreases your standard of living, right? And from the sight of the Lord, right? The things of, of the world becomes ordinary for us. It's like, yeah, this should be fine. Everybody else is doing it, so it should be fine, right? And uh, the jokes that people have, the kind of things which uh, Right? It slowly gets into you, and then you're like one of the world. There's no distinction anymore between us and the world. We're exactly the same way. Right? I'm talking about a, a good uh, non-believer. Right? I'm not talking about somebody who's living in extreme, uh, some doing some extreme things. I'm talking about, think about somebody as your colleague and co-workers, right, who are non-Christians. There's no distinction anymore. There are some good straight guys right out there, That's exactly how it happens, right? And the Lord is saying, don't love the world or the things in the world. When we go into the world, our mind becomes so blinded. That is where I was. My mind was so blinded, and I couldn't see what was wrong. If somebody preached this message message to me saying that I was in sin, I'd be like, no, I think I'm, I'm living a pretty good life. That's how I thought uh, my life was. Now, uh, I want to switch gears and uh, talk about these uh, things or promises. Now, when we uh, talk about salvation, um, we know salvation is, uh, if somebody says, uh, God is good, so he's not going to punish everybody. So I don't think he's going to send me to hell. He's a good God. Right? Would you think that's right? We as Christians say that, no, that's not right. right? That's not uh, right. What if I push the boundary a little bit further? Right? What if I say, oh, um, I've experienced a miracle or a healing, and I've seen God's goodness in my life. Do you think that person is saved? No, right? We don't believe that just because you experience God's goodness or you've seen a miracle, you don't believe that a person is saved, right? So here's the passage which talks about the core of the gospel, right? It says in 1 Corinthians, I declare to you the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now, we know that our faith is resting on this very specific word. It's not resting on some generic thing that, oh, God is good, or God does miracles. It's not based on that. Your salvation is based on this specific act of God, and you're putting your faith in this very specific thing. Right? So in the passage when you talked about in Second Peter, when it says you need to find the promises of God to be able to experience this divine nature, we now need to figure out what are the specific promises which the Lord is talking about that will help me come into this divine nature. We can't be generic and say, oh, uh, I believe it, I sing about it, so uh, I can now experience this divine nature. It cannot be generic. We have to go and find out what is this very specific promise or promises which God is talking about so that then I can use that as my basis for coming into this divine nature right we have this whole uh, parallel of uh, the salvation experience in the Old Testament right um, we know this uh, this passage um, where it says uh, this is talking about Israel coming out of Egypt. It says, uh, kill the Passover lamb, strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that's in the basin. When he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer into your house to strike you. Now we know that uh, the Passover lamb is Jesus Christ, right? That's very clear to us, right? And uh, it's uh, applying the blood of Jesus Christ on our lives, and that's how we are saved. And then when um, Israelites come out of uh, Egypt, they cross the Red Sea, and they're the other side of the Red Sea. And the Egyptians are, are uh, vanquished, and they're defeated, and they're dead, right? and they're all rejoicing, right? Oh, what a great experience. Wow, we are set free from this old kingdom of uh, darkness, and now i come into this new kingdom. Oh, we're all free. Right? There's uh, uh, dancing and there's joy when you have this experience. Right? But then, is that all? The promise was to go and enter into the promised land. The job is still half done when you just came out of Egypt. Right? It's just half done. You still need to go and take possession of the promised land. Right? Now, uh, we all know that uh, when they went into the promised land, when they came near and saw it, oh, there are giants in the promised land. It's not something as, as simple as, oh, I can go and settle in there, take my tent and start uh, build my house over there, right? There were giants over there, and it's not as easy as just walking into it. So in the New Testament, how does that play out? What is this promised land? Many people think uh, the promised land is uh, heaven, right? Uh, Yeah, yeah, you go to heaven, and that's the promised land. But in heaven, are there really giants? Are you going to go to heaven and start still fighting? Obviously not, (laughs) right? Obviously not. Though the promised land has a, a reference to heaven as well, but there's this more specific reference when the Lord is talking about this promised land. Right? And that is what we need to go and start finding out, what is the uh, parallel reference uh, for us in the New Testament. Right? This is what uh, the Lord says when he's uh, talking to the Israelites, right? Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, and shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So he's saying there's a new kingdom which I'm going to establish, and that will be a kingdom of the Lord, which is going to establish in Israel, in the promised land, and it will be a kingdom of priests and uh, a holy nation. Now we know that uh, there's a very uh, specific reference to that in the New Testament as well, right? Uh, he talks about this uh, passage in this New Testament where Jesus says, the kingdom of God is within you. He stops talking about the kingdom, which is uh, the physical kingdom of overthrowing the Romans, but he starts talking about this concept and this truth that the kingdom of God is now within us, though obviously the, the the real physical kingdom will come in as well. But at that point in time, the Lord Jesus was saying, From now onwards, the kingdom of God is within us. And we also know that uh, uh, the Lord Jesus says, we're kings and priests. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God. So, and um, if now this kingdom is now within us and that is the promised land, in the current speak, in the New Testament world, what are we fighting against? What are those giants? Right? What are we fighting against? Right? The answer for that is also given in the New Testament in the same in First Peter. And here's what it says, right? Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul having a conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when, th- that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe glorify God on the day of visitation. So it's talking about this kingdom right now is within us, and the warfare that's happening right now is now in every one of our minds, in our souls, in our minds. That is the battleground right now. The battleground is now in your minds, in your own souls, and what are we really battling against? We're battling against this fleshly lust. That is the battle. Right? The battle is now against fleshly lust. Right? The result of that battle, as it says, is your conduct. Your conduct is the result of this battle. In other place, it says it's the fruit. Right? So, sometimes this fruit is visible. Others can see it. But most of the times, this battle is inside. People sometimes can't even see what's going on in every one of our minds and souls. That's the battleground, right? So when the Israelites first go to this promised land, we all know the story, right? Uh, It's a very sad story. And uh, they reject God's promise, and this is what they say. If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness, would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Right? So there's this three states which they're looking at. The first state is, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, which is like saying... Uh, We as Christians, oh, this Christian life is so hard. I didn't expect that there'll be this battle and and all this thing. I thought once this is done, we cross over from Egypt. I was expecting the promised land. I don't like all this battle. I don't like all this fighting. I'd rather go back. I wish I was never saved. That's what, the, in, that's what the Israelites were saying. Right? The second thing which is saying is if only we had died in the wilderness. Right? The wilderness experience is the in between no man's land, right? Whether been, uh, neither here nor there. Right? It's a place of no victory. Right? The victory is to go and take the position of the promised land, it's this place of no victory and you're continuously going in the same cycle of sin and we're saying I'd rather just die in this place where I'm fine with just giving up and dying the way I am I just give up I just give up I don't think there's victory anymore the promised land and all that is great for talking about it singing about it but in my reality no no I, I'd rather just die over here, right? And the worst thing is, um, I'll let me just return to Egypt. Right? It's like I don't want to be, I wish I was never saved, or I give up, I'll just live my life this way, a defeated life, continuously in living a cycle of defeat, or let me just go back to Egypt, which is just exactly what it says, in Second um, Peter, right, they lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and then get entangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before, right? So this is this lifestyle where they're saying, I'd rather just go back. And once you get entangled in sin, that is slavery. That is absolute slavery. That's exactly what the the Lord purchased Israel out. He brought them out. And when you get back into this lifestyle of sin, it is slavery. It's what it says, sin which leads to death, right? The continuous pattern of sin which leads to death, right? If you continuously re- remain in this place, this is what, what the Lord is talking about. You go back into death, right? Now, uh, the whole thing about uh, what happened to Israel is is in detail mentioned in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. I'm just going to read through uh, a few verses of uh, Hebrews 3 and 4 because that's exactly where we are. And that's a thing which the Lord is speaking to every one of us in the church. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness, Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was Was it not with those who sinned whose corpses fell in the wilderness, and to whom he s- did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey. Verse 19. So we could see they could not enter in because of unbelief. Right? And uh, Hebrews 4 talks about this, continuous talk about this, right? Since there remains a promise, right? Remains of entering his rest, Let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Can you believe that this gospel which you're talking about was also preached to the Israelites? The same gospel is being preached to the Israelites. And that gospel is being preached to every generation. The gospel is very clear that we have to have a victory. same gospel is preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who believed do enter that rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and to those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest lest anyone fall short according to the same example of disobedience. Very, very hard passages. Very hard passages. It's talking about exactly us. He's putting that same parallel of the Israelites and he's comparing it with us in our current Christian walk. And we know the real core things, right? If you look at this passage, there are many things which the Lord points out the hardness of the heart. He talks about the hardness of the heart and he says, now you better listen when the Lord is speaking to us. But if we look at the core thing which the Lord is talking about, he's talking about two things. Unbelief and disobedience. Unbelief and disobedience. Those are, if I have to summarize Hebrews 3 and 4, unbelief and disobedience. So it is this unbelief that I can't enter in. I can't enter into this promised land. This victory over sin is not for this life, right? Just like uh, the Israelites listened to the popular belief. The popular belief there was the most people came and said, "Oh, it's it's difficult. You can't do it." That's what the Christian world is, right? We're listening to all the popular belief around us, which is, "You can't do it." So we come back and stay in this place. We just come back and stay in this place right, of, of defeat and in this place of wilderness, right? Very sad state. And this is what the Lord is warning every one of us. And it's not a, uh, if you look at this passage, he's not giving it as an optional thing that you can probably enter into the promised land. He's almost asking us, pushing us through. I want you to go and enter into this promised land. He's pushing us in. You should go and start experiencing this. This is for now. That's the core message of Hebrews 3 and 4. This is for now. It's not for something when you go to heaven. This is for now. Right? I'll just uh, skim through a few promises and declarations uh, which are there in the New Testament, which is very specific to related to sin. Right? Here's uh, Romans 6, which says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're not under law, but under grace. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) Look at another one. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. It's right? talking about, yes, there's going to be temptation, but God will always provide a way of escape. Always. Right? I'll put two more over there for you all to read through that. And the same pattern is there through and through in the New Testament. The same promises of God and the expectation of God for us to be victorious, to be victorious over sin, right? Be holy as I'm holy. That's in the New Testament, right? All these promises, declarations, the expectations of God are there in the New Testament. Right? Now, um, I want to now get into something which the Lord started speaking to me personally uh, when I was going through this journey. Right? When I said I was in the world, and the Lord showed me this. Uh, I was completely in the world. I was meditating on the scriptures. And I came to the place where I said, oh, this victory is for now. This victory is for now. And I have to start believing that there is victory. Right? And I, I start changing my, my pattern of life and to start living out this life. Right? I started uh, living uh, uh, coming out of the world and the Lord started showing a lot of things in my life and uh, I have to just state probably that this whole coming out of the world was not a, an instant thing it was something which the Lord had to drag me out of I was so in love with the world that I couldn't give up so many things I thought how can you live a life It's a boring, dead life. I do not want to be like, uh, boring. I do not want to live a boring life. It was really difficult to come out of that. And during that whole process as well, it was a period of repentance. It was a period of repentance, deep repentance. Not just saying, oh Lord, forgive me and move on. It was a period of deep repentance and mourning and asking the Lord, Lord, show me. Show me how I should live my life. And I was starting to live this uh, holy life, trying to be holy and try to get it right. And I started believing that, oh, I have to have faith. Right, I have to have faith and uh, I need to start living this holy life. At that point, uh, the Lord started showing through dreams that uh, I was still living in self-righteousness. Like, what is this new term, self-righteousness? I knew the term, but what is this new term? and it made me more frustrated. I'm trying to live this holy life, and then God is saying I'm living a self-righteous life. And I just couldn't get it. It was just making me more and more frustrated what God was trying to say, that I was living a frustrated, uh, self-righteous life. When in effect, in effect, I was really pursuing the Lord and uh, wanting to live a holy life. Right? Then the Lord started showing me in a couple of dreams. The first dream was... Uh, uh, I went into this, uh, in this dream, I had a maid at home. Uh, I went into my bathroom, and in, in the bathroom, I, I had this mirror. Uh, the mirror, uh, the bathroom was dark, it was not lit, and uh, I could sense uh, on the right side, I was here in the mirror, and the right side was this maid uh, who was using the potty, and uh, she walks out. And she uh, brushes the back of me, at my back. And then she walks out. And it really shocks me uh, when I notice that. And I ask the Lord, and all this is in the dream. I ask the Lord, Lord, what should I do about this? This lady has just asked me, what should I do about this behavior? And the Lord speaks back to me and he says, you need to get her out. She's going to become a snare. That's exactly the terminology which the Lord used. She's going to become a snare. And then uh, I noticed my wife is uh, uh, noticing all this interaction. And when I got up, I was like, oh, this is uh, something I I must have eaten some bad pizza or something like that. (laughs) I don't get this at all. (laughs) And I was just mulling over it, just kept it aside for some time. And then in an instant, the Lord shows that to me shows that, that the maid is uh, Hagar of the Old Testament. Right? That whole thing is explained fully in Galatians chapter 4. Right? In Galatians chapter 4, he talks about this uh, being under the law. Right? He talks about Hagar. And the very specific thing he says is, you need to cast out the bondwoman. woman. You need to cast her out. And that opened up my eyes. I was like, oh, that's what I need to do. I'm living under the law. And when I looked at my pattern of lifestyle, I thought I have to live this holy life. I thought I have to have faith that I need to enter in. And uh, the way I was thinking that I should do is, I put all these checks and balances in place. right? Oh, don't do this. Don't watch this. Keep away from these kind of circumstances. Keep away from these kind of uh, friends. right? You put all, wherever you know your weaknesses are, where you're constantly stumbling, and always heard this kind of preaching, right? Where you said, oh, you need to now go and figure out how do you plug all these holes? And then when you still stumble, it frustrates us. It frustrates us more. And then what you do is, you put more, uh, let's put more bandage. Let's put more, uh, plug in these holes. Right? And then you're boxing yourself in and living this life thinking that, oh, I got it now. I'm living this holy life now. So with all this grit, with all this self-determination, Right? You try to keep the law. And the Lord is saying, that needs to go out. This whole thing about the law, that needs to be cast out. You can't live, that is not the way I've I've asked you to live this holy life. Not by keeping all these rules and regulations. Right? Uh, it says over here, um, Colossians has got this very specific thing. right? It says, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern with the perishing, which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion. Self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of your own body right but they have no value against the indulgence of the flesh so you could fix everything outside you could fix everything outside but your in your heart it's still all these cravings are still there it's not done anything to fix your heart and the lord jesus also talks about pharisees right they fix all the things outside but their heart is full of wickedness full of wickedness So you could do all the religion that you could want, keep all the law, but you could still be bound internally. Your heart is still not cleansed. Your heart is still wicked. That's what the Lord was showing to me, that I need to get this out. Trying to do it in your own flesh does not please God. Romans 8 talks about that. It says that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You can't. You may think that you're doing the right things, but it's unpleasing. It's displeasing to the Lord. Right? So in my dream, uh, the Lord, what was showing? He was showing me that mirror was the Word of God, right? I was in darkness, but I was seeking the Lord. And when I start seeking the Lord, the Lord starts speaking to me. He starts speaking. In reality, he starts exposing what was wrong in my life. Right? That is the revelation of the Lord speaking to me. That made, using the potty was self-righteousness. That is how God sees us when we try to obey the law, with laws and with rules and regulations, the Lord sees it as filth. And it says filthy rags is self-righteousness. That is how ugly it is before God. Our own strength to try to keep God's commandments and try to please Him. And that's how filthy it is. Now that is the problem. I try to get out of the law. But what is the solution? How do I get in right? What is the solution? Right. Then I get this other dream, which is uh, life in the spirit. And uh, I'll probably read through this uh, quickly so that uh, I don't get anything wrong. So I was in this pathway and entrance to something like an arena, and before me was a person who looked like a big creature an animal, standing on many limbs. And then the Lord Jesus' voice was there, and he was talking to this person, right? Uh, and he's asking something very specific, like saying that you had not learned life in the spirit. He's talking to this creature, right? That person was putting a strange posture to say that uh, by folding his hands on his head, he's trying to imitate life in the spirit. But I knew that that was not life in the spirit. And in that path, next, it was me, right? It was me behind, and uh, I knew I was next. And the Lord was there, right? And uh, I tried to imitate this life in the spirit by standing on one leg. Okay? And then I, I suddenly remembered. Right? It was just like a revelation. Right? And I launched up into the air and I started flying in, uh, in the sky. Right? And then I started going into this arena. I drew a picture for Kurt when I was sharing this with Kurt. Here's me at the bottom. Uh, Vijay. The person creature was over there. And then me flying and going into this uh, arena. And then I was seeing the Lord Jesus Christ as a huge, towering military figure. Right? And I was going down and bowing down before the Lord. I had so much reverence before the Lord that I would not even look at Him. Right? I was like, so much reverence I was. Right? The, the Lord was showing, um, I'll quickly touch on a couple of things, right? The person, creature is uh, detailed out in Second Peter. You can go and check that out. Uh, it talks about this beast over there and the pattern of living for that beast, right? And he's talking about that. And then myself with this uh, one leg, right? That is uh, trying to do it in my own flesh. Trying to do it in my own flesh. Till I got the revelation and then the Lord picks me up and it's then life in the spirit, right? I'm lifted up by the spirit, right? Uh, that was the amazing experience which I had. Now, I had to get into the real solution. When I talked about the promises of God, we now need to go and figure out what are the promises which the Lord is asking us to go and run after, right? In the New Testament, here's one thing. It says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of his sinful nature. Now, when I came to Christ, I thought, uh, at salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ cleansed me from my sins. He washed me with his blood. He's cleansed me. Then I thought, uh, I still have this old sinful nature. I thought, this is something I have to deal with. The Lord cleansed me from my sins, but the sinful nature is for me to now go and have to deal with how did we come to salvation? Right? The way we came to salvation is when we believed that Jesus Christ did something at the cross and we believed it. I might not have got some experience or some people might have, but, but most of us, we just believed that. We applied it to ourselves. That's the same thing which the Lord is saying. The Lord Jesus Christ also did something magnificent at the cross. He also cut off this sinful nature. The circumcision of the heart, which the Bible talks about, He circumcised our heart. That sinful nature which we struggle with, He circumcised it. Now, when we talk about, we have to apply faith in this thing? Right? The same way that you applied faith for salvation. Same way. Right? Nothing has happened, but you believe it. Nothing can shake us now of this salvation experience. In the same way we start believing that the Lord Jesus Christ, when He suffered and He died on the cross, at that point He also cut away my sinful nature. Right? That is what I need to start believing in. And this became a revelation to me. See, the way revelation works is you have information which you just know about and talk about, sing about it, but at one point it becomes a reality. It is yours. I believe what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me. He's washed my sins. It becomes yours. That is the revelation experience which every one of us has. Right? So alive to us when we come to the salvation experience. Right? It's the Holy Spirit revealing that truth to us. Once that becomes activated, that word, then we get into obedience. Right? That is the pattern of lifestyle. right? You get to know what the Lord has done right? and then the Lord activates that in our life, and then you start living it out. Right? If you look at uh, the Bible, it says many places, right? Uh, it says uh, when Jesus was walking and uh, after his risen on the road to Emmaus, there's two disciples, they couldn't see Jesus. He's right next to them. They couldn't see him. They knew him all those three and a half years, but he's right next to them. They couldn't see him until Jesus opened his, their eyes. And then in the same passage, it says, When he goes to the disciples, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. They knew the scriptures, but he opened their mind so that they could understand the scriptures. Spiritual vision and understanding. Now when you look at Paul, when he starts, uh, uh, at least noticed in three uh, uh, books, right? If you look at uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you look at the first chapter, he's always praying this prayer the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Oh, he could have just written what he was expecting to write. But he's still praying that you get the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Right? This passage which the Lord is talking about, that it's this cutting of the sinful nature. The Lord has done that at the cross for us. It is for us to go and receive it in faith. What the Israelites could not do is they could not accept it. They could not mix it with faith. They're walking in their own self-righteous way. They thought they could do it by, by themselves. Right? But then it's receiving what the Lord Jesus has already done. This whole thing is very beautifully done. And if you go to a revela- uh, sorry, Romans 6, 7, 8. Romans 6, if I have to summarize, Romans 6 is all about what the Lord Jesus has done for us. The death experience, that I have died with him start believing that. It doesn't become some, oh, uh, some uh, theology or something like that. It becomes real and active for us. Right? Romans 7 talks about this law. If I have to live under the law, how it is, a constant struggle. Right, And then Romans 8 is life in the spirit. Right? Those two dreams that you talk about, Romans 7 and Romans 8, that is the parallel which the Lord is showing to me. And he's showing to me that the way to access him is start believing that the Lord Jesus has done something marvelous at the cross. It becomes real and active for us. Right? That is a journey which the Lord wants every one of us to get into. Right, And it's not just some kind of a theology which the Lord is talking about. He's talking about a revelation experience that He wants every one of us to get it. Right? And uh, I have to quickly talk about... Uh, uh, I'll finish by these things, right? Therefore, it says in Second Corinthians 7, therefore, having these promises below, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Right? For what fellowship, I'll read the underlying verses and the ones which are highlighted. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? I and mean, he's talking over there, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Right? And the action for every one of us is therefore, come out from among them. Come out. Come out from the world. Come out from the world. Right? That is the command for every one of us. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters," says the Lord Almighty. That is the essence of love, where your relationship with the Father is once again established. It's established by you keeping His commandments. It's established by having these promises. The promise of God is His divine power. The divine power is He dwelling inside of us, and it's this revelation which you get, but also making that. Helping that revelation become alive and active. It's the Holy Spirit starting to live in our lives, right? It is these promises that I need to hold on to, cling to and say, Lord, I need these things. I need this. This is what I was looking for, right? And basing your life on that. So I have to just summarize, right? The Lord has for every one of us victory. He has victory for every one of us we have to start believing it. We have to start believing it and start saying, Lord, I believe it. Our confession should change. Our confession should completely change. It should change on the scriptures. It should be based on the scriptures. You're building now on this foundation of Jesus Christ. That's the new confession that we have. And then you start building on it. You start obeying that doesn't end unless you obey. Right? Just having faith will not help us. Faith in not general something like that in the air, but faith in a very specific promise of God. This is just the entry point. Like I said, faith is just the entry point. Right? And the Lord will bring us into a place where there is freedom. When he talks about rest. That's the rest which the Lord is talking about, freedom. And the so Holy Spirit starts teaching us Right? And when the Israelites go into the promised land it's not like they get it all easy right? they, the second battle they lose really badly why they disobeyed the Lord they lose really badly so it's a constant fight now once you get this truth it's a constant your Holy Spirit is constantly revealing more and more about the Lord Jesus Christ and that is what I'm putting my faith on and that is what I'm putting my obedience on right? I'll pray and uh, close This prayer. I don't know if uh, where your state in life is. You might just want to bow down your heads while I pray. I don't know what state that uh, each one of us is in. You might be in the complete world like I was. Or you might be in self-righteousness. The Lord is saying, come out. Start believing in the cross, the finished work of the cross. Turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. This life is real. This life is absolutely real. Lord Jesus, we come into your holy presence, Father. Lord, everything, Lord, that we believed in, which was a lie, which is the deceiving lies, Father, that we believed in, the popular things that we heard, Lord, and accepted, we break it off right now in the name of Jesus. We break it off right now in the name of Jesus. I ask, Father, Lord, Lord, that by your Spirit, that you'll start revealing to every one of us what you have done at the cross, what Jesus has done on the cross. That we might once again build this on this right foundation, which is Jesus Christ. The right foundation, which is the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the word of God. That is the right foundation. We want to start believing, Father, that what you have for us is real. And we want to start accepting, Father, Lord. We want to start believing and confessing, Lord, your scriptures, your reality, Lord, of your scriptures, Lord. Make it alive in our lives. Make it a reality and a truth in our lives, Father. I pray, Father, Lord, every one of us will come out of the world because you want to start a real and true relationship with us, a relationship of love, true love, where you have so much in store for us, so much in store for us. Thank you, Father. You're a good God. You're a merciful God. You're a loving and compassionate God. You do not want to condemn us, Father. You do not want us to be have the condemnation of the world, Lord. Lord, we want to start receiving your mercy and your love. Come, Lord Jesus Christ. Come, precious Lord. Pour out your Holy Spirit, Father. Pour out your Holy Spirit. Make these scriptures come alive in our lives, Jesus. Make this reality, Lord, of going and taking in this promised land. Let Jesus be the king in our minds, Lord. Let Jesus be the king in our hearts, Father. Let this kingdom of God be established, Lord, where Jesus sits on his throne, Lord, in our lives. Thank you, Father, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It's you who's doing this, Father. We give you all glory, honor, and power, Father. All glory, honor, and power belongs to you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, precious Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Jay, thank you uh, I, I really, thank you brother I really think that that's one of the most important words that's ever been spoken here And I'm going to say something just quickly Just to sort of try and tie it together in a really simple way And that is this revelation about the coming out of Egypt And getting across the Red Sea And getting to a place where you're away from the old You've been, It's been circumcised and set behind That's salvation, but that isn't the end of it. That God has a promised land that we need to get to, too. And that the faith that got us from the one to the other out of Egypt is exactly the same thing that gets us into the promised land. That revelation, that's critical. To be able to stand on that, to stand in the same spirit of the faith that got you into salvation that you don't lose. You know that you're saved. But this is what he's saying is, is that same faith is what he's asking you to do, not the rules and the regs and all of that. I know when he was preaching that, I actually liked the way he did it because he did it with me too. I was going, boy, I don't know. It sounds like works. <laughs> sounds like you're getting dangerously close to work. Sounds like it. And then he went, that's what he taught me. I was in works. But then he taught me what faith is. And then what I love is Once you find that victory, once you find that victory of standing in his promises and because you're believing them, they are actually actualizing in you, then you fall in love with (laughs) him. What a great God to get you there like that, right? So Lord, in Jesus' name, this congregation comes before you and we ask you that you would take this message and that you would burn it into our hearts, burn it into our minds. You are the one who circumcises and takes away the old, that we might have a heart on which you can write your promises, your new law, your new commands. And in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, we come before you and say thank you for that. Thank you for doing that. And God, as we have heard, a way to stand in you by belief, by faith, which we know will grow if we will simply but do it. In Jesus' name, we say thank you again and again and again in love. So in Jesus' name, we take these cups that are in front of us. And in this lower cup is the life that is broken. And it turns out we've just discovered today that it's not just broken before we were saved. We kept breaking it after that. (laughs) In our quote-unquote freedom that in Jesus' holy and precious name, God. So we put our fingers in there and say, we recognize how much we have broken our lives, even, even after salvation. And so we lift this cup, looking past the cup to the cross, and what Jesus did to heal us. And so we take this cup, not about our brokenness, but about his healing, making us whole. Take this cup together. Now in Jesus' holy and precious name, every week I stand up here and say, God has already purchased the life. At that moment on the cross, he purchased, it was all done. Everything that needed to be done was done and it's just waiting for us. And today we have heard an expression of what that means. A deeper, fuller, richer expression of the life that awaits. If we will but know that by your promises, by your, by your right hand, By us believing, you will pick us up and fly us into the promised land. In Jesus' holy and precious name, God, that's the life we want. And that's the life that we lift up when we lift this cup, in which is that life. And so we take it together saying, God, let it be. It's already there for me, but let it be the fullness of the life that I'm living. In Jesus' name. That's good stuff. Ushers, thank you.